Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Investigations continuing and, and a lot of hypothetical answers are, are being tossed around here as to exactly what happened in, in Russia this past weekend, why it happened, why did it end so suddenly, and, and what are the ongoing ramifications of it. Uh, we know that Vladimir Putin t- touched on that yesterday. Uh, he's made a couple of different uh, uh, addresses to the to the people, which is the international community really as well. To get some perspective on this, we're pleased to welcome back to the program uh, Professor Oral Brown. Uh, professor Brown is a professor of international relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Professor, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could join us today. Good morning. Let me ask you right up front, if we could just circle back to, to last Saturday morning. Were you surprised at what happened and, and how, how, how it unfolded as, as quickly as it did? Yes and no, because uh, dictatorships are very unpredictable. They can look very strong, very stable, and they can all of a sudden begin to look shaky and disintegrate. I uh, was surprised that it ended this quickly and that uh, Prigozhin was so ill-prepared for how this uh, unrolled because he obviously expected that there would be units within the Russian military on a large scale that would come over, that there may be others in the Russian government who would take a chance and support him. And he did not get that. Although when we look at how he marched into the headquarters, southern headquarters of the Russian military in uh, the large city of Rostov-on-Don, Uh, the Russian army was passive and his forces were able to get within 200 miles of Moscow. But uh, ultimately, the system rallied somewhat, precaution backed down, but the damage has been done and the damage is long term. I want to talk about that in just a couple of seconds. Uh, And I think it was you that told us about a year or so ago, Professor, uh, that when it comes to like insurrections and, and, you know, governments being overthrown in, in countries well like russia uh we don't hear about it until it happens uh because there's a lot of work that has to be done behind closed doors because uh let's face it you know coups that don't go well usually end up badly for the people that are doing the organizing for it uh, and this one did not go well so i uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that first of all uh about prezhelkin and where he's going to end up i mean he's been told he has amnesty right now uh Vladimir Putin doesn't seem to me, Professor, to be the sort of guy that can let somebody who tried to to take his power away from him uh, to coexist anywhere else in the world. I mean, eventually, something untoward usually happens to those people. Are you expecting something like that here? It would not be surprising because not only Vladimir Putin's character, and he has not hesitated to go after opponents. We know that uh, Boris Nemtsov was assassinated and many believe that uh, the Kremlin's fingerprints were on it. He had been uh, a very popular opposition leader in 2015 uh, uh, who was killed. We know that ex-KGB agents who wound up in Britain were also killed, poisoned, uh, either with polonium-210 or there were attempts on their lives with uh, Novichok, uh, 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 with the Novichok virus. And so um, there is the personality, but the nature of Putin's rule, which uh, is much closer to that of an organized crime syndicate than a regular government, cannot allow for any appearance of vulnerability, uh, for the appearance of weakness. 
So what we see Vladimir Putin doing now for the past couple of days is to go out and speak uh, in a way in which he tries to reassert authority to project strength. And one of the ways that might happen is to have uh, Prigozhin punished. But uh, so far, Putin had to compromise. And this is going to be something that he cannot overcome. Uh, on Saturday uh, morning, he went on television, a five-minute uh, address, in which he said that uh, this mutiny was uh, an armed rebellion, that it was a betrayal, that it was a stab in the back, that it was treason. Seven hours later, he had to agree to a compromise where the leader, as well as the Wagner group, would be given amnesty, that all charges would be dropped. That is not a good precedent in that kind of precedent, in that kind of uh, uh, leadership structure. There have been a couple of different uh, scenarios that have been described, I guess, depending on, on you know who we're talking to or who we're listening to, Professor, uh, about, as you said, the outcome of this. Some are suggesting uh, that Putin comes out at least in the eyes of the Russian people, as as a strong man once again. In other words, uh, you know, there, there was a threat there from Brzezokin, but he's gone. He backed away, and Putin was the victor. That, that's one. The other is that this has shown a major chink in his armor, and even though, because Putin has a, a, an iron grip on, on the, the messaging coming out of the Kremlin, uh, the oligarchs don't, uh, and they look at a guy like like Prizukin and said, all right, maybe he didn't succeed, but maybe I can. I mean, is is, is Putin going to be looking behind his, his back from here on in? He will constantly be looking uh, uh, around and uh, not knowing who might turn on him, because let's not forget that in some ways, Prigozhin and the Wagner group have been uh, Putin's own creation. Mm -hmm. That not very long ago, Prigozhin was hailed as a hero, that his forces had taken uh, Bakhmut, where the regular Russian military could not do it. The Prigozhin was able to speak up and say the kind of things that others were not able to do. And Prigozhin went public and he said three very important things, that this was not uh, a special military operation. This was an actual war. Second, that this war was unjustified, that uh, Putin had been misled by various leaders into getting this conflict that was unnecessary, that Ukraine was not a threat. And the third element was that this war was fought in the most wasteful way, where thousands upon thousands of Russian soldiers were killed, and that their families would always uh, resent this, and that uh, some people would have to pay a price for that. Now, that was out in the public. It was the case that the mayor of Moscow had to call a special emergency measure where he was going to close down the city to a significant extent on Monday, not knowing that this was going to be over this quickly. And he said that because of this measure, people should not go to work. This is the center of uh, uh, of uh, Russian, Russian power. And even today, Putin made an address and he was thanking airmen for uh, standing with him uh, and uh, preventing from, uh, this from becoming a uh, uh, civil war. So he's reinforcing this image that this was a very, very major challenge. It's hard to see how he can then portray this as some kind of victory by a strong man, because if you have absolute, absolute power, you are not challenged. You can trust people. And not only uh, uh, is it that you trust people, but if anyone shows the slightest deviation 
or the slightest defiance, there's instant and decisive punishment. And yet in this case, there was uh, a compromise agreement where these uh, insurrectionists, these mutinists, these people who threatened civil war, according to Vladimir Putin himself, had been allowed to go. What about that? I mean, you know, Prashokin's assertion was that he was never trying to overthrow Putin, uh, that this had to do with the, the discontent about, you know, the uh, the defense minister basically cutting off supplies uh, for, for the Wagner troops. Uh, and, of course, the uh, assertion, I guess it was about three or four days before that, uh, that they all had to essentially swear allegiance to, to Putin and, and sign up for the Russian army. Uh, and this was a pushback on that. Uh, you've been studying this for years, Professor. Do you, in, in, in your mind, I think that Prashogin did have some ambitions of power, and, and, and you know, why, why else was he going to Moscow? For many, many months, uh, and perhaps even longer, he had a huge dispute with the Minister of Defense, Sergei Shoigu, who was uh, a great political operator and uh, has been the Minister of Defense for a long time, and with the Chief of Staff, General Gerasimov. Uh, Prigozhin thought that these people got Russia into an un unnecessary war and they were prosecuting it in a completely incompetent way. And his goal was to get rid of these people. So it does not appear that he wanted to overthrow Putin, but his hope was that somehow Putin would side with him because in part he was encouraged by uh, to, to criticize these uh, leaders, uh, other people could not have done it, by Vladimir Putin who runs a kind of regime where he pits one faction against the other. And so uh, Prigozhin seemed to have concluded that he was indispensable. This is how he was portrayed by Putin himself. And believing himself to be indispensable, perhaps he also concluded that he was invincible and that he would take these actions and that as long as he did not attack Putin himself, he could convince Putin, he could convince others in the government to get rid of Shoigu, get rid of uh, Gerasimov, and maybe either conclude this war or to have leaders brought in who could prosecute this war effectively. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, I know our time is limited uh, and there's so many different avenues to cover here. Uh, but you could argue that the Wagner group were the ones who were probably were the most effective Russian force in the war. Uh, they seem to have the, the, the victories that counted, etc. And a lot of that stuff now has, has regressed now since they've left. They're probably not coming back. Uh, I don't know how many of them are actually going to re-enlist with the Russian army. Uh, what does that do to, to Russia's uh, efforts in, in Ukraine right now? It definitely weakens the Russian military because these units, and you know, we heard about the convicts who were used as cannon fodder, but the core of the Wagner uh, private army was made up of former Russian military officers and uh, uh, soldiers who came from some of the best units. These were highly professional individuals, really well trained. They were effective uh, in a fight and they were feared and respected by the Ukrainian forces. Now they will no longer be able to fight as a unit. They are going to be dispersed among the military. They will lose the special status that they had. They were told by Vladimir Putin that they can either join or they can go back to their families or they can go to Belarus. So there is a, tremend a tremendous amount of disillusionment and bitterness within these forces. 
and that those who would be integrated into the Russian military, they may cause problems because they will be able to talk to others and show them that they are indeed poorly led, that uh, the Russian military has uh, become as corrupt as Russian society itself with uh, leaders who are more inclined, as Prigozhin claimed, to try to line their own pockets than to do the best for their country. Because it would seem that the, 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 the rank-and-file members, I guess, of the Wagner Group were more loyal to their leader than they were to, to, to the Kremlin. This is what happened uh, when this uh, armed insurrection uh, began, and we saw that many uh, of the Russian military units, such as... Uh, in um, Rostov-on-Don, which is a city of about a million, and the headquarters of the Southern District, as I noted, and Voronezh, they, they were passive. Um, yes, there were some uh, uh, units in the Air Force that fired on uh, the columns uh, of uh, the Prigozhin forces, and uh, the Wagner uh, forces fired back, and Putin admitted that uh, maybe a dozen pilots were killed, several aircraft uh, were destroyed. So either the Russian military was passive or it was not particularly uh, effective. And this shows uh, that there were issues of loyalty, that there were issues of, uh, of effectiveness, and most importantly, the aura of invincibility that Putin tried to project, which is so necessary to this kind of governance and this is why I argued in an article that uh, as much as we want to look at social science, decision-making theory, and Machiavelli, and uh, Clausewitz, we might be better off looking at uh, The Sopranos or looking at uh, the Godfather movies to understand this kind of rule. And this kind of rule, uh, that aura of invincibility is absolutely crucial. And you cannot restore that. Uh, you will certainly claim that he has won Putin, he will claim that he has the loyalty of various individuals, he will trot out uh, leaders of uh, different uh, uh, elements of the military, of the security forces, to demonstrate that loyalty, but he will never be secure. He will never know who may turn on him again. Exactly. Uh, Professor, always great to get your perspective on this. Thank you so much for the time today. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.